0: Inside a hologram? David echoed. See the pillars in each corner? There should be a pillar here, right where we're standing. There isn't. Instead, there's this mini-yerk pool. And... And that thing. I pointed at a device that looked like a large, blunt-nosed dracon beam. It was mounted on the small table where Marco and I had demorphed. Interesting. Axe commented. It's a holographic emitter, but it's only a relay, not the basic emitter, not what is causing this hologram we're in. I looked around, trying to make sense of it. We were apparently standing inside a massive marble pillar, roughly 10 feet in diameter. Behind us, there was a raised platform. Not quite a stage, just a platform with the very familiar podium the president uses. You know, the one with the big blue presidential seal on the front. I glanced at Rachel. She was getting very large. Too large for the confined space. Rachel, sorry, I changed my mind. Demorph. Are you sure? There could still be a fight. She said, sounding almost hopeful. I looked up at the ceiling. Between the hanging chandeliers were stained glass skylights. I could see daylight. I looked back up at the air conditioning vent we'd come through. The pillar hugged the wall to within three feet on that side, and the air conditioning duct actually bulged out so that the vent itself was just inches from the column. The hologram must have been weaker up there, where it was less vital. What happens if someone happens to lean on this column, or pillar, or whatever it is? David wondered. They have to be using a force field, too, not just a hologram. Axe nodded in agreement. Yes, here is what I believe is happening. The Yurks precisely targeted a dracon beam from a cloaked ship overhead. They burned down through the roof and through the column precisely, wiping it out. Then they aimed a holographic emitter of enormous power down through the hole to replace the pillar they had vaporized. A hologram strengthened by a force field. The force field directs its force outward, of course. We can step out of this hologram at any time, but we would not be able to step back in. So why doesn't the roof fall down? Marco wondered. Maybe the pillars are just for decoration, David suggested. They probably don't really support the roof. They're just here to look cool. So what's the point? i mused aloud. The force field is in place. How did the controllers get in here? Axe pointed at a sort of arch made out of nothing but thick wire. It formed an invisible door, if you can envision that. My guess is that this arch blocks the force field. There must be some kind of control device in here. They would simply blank the force field whenever they needed to enter the column. Axe shuffled with difficulty through the press of bodies over to a small computer console on the York pool. He stared at it for a few moments, then pressed a button. Nothing changed. I stepped out, right through what would have looked like solid marble from the outside. Then I turned and pressed my hand against blank, cold marble. I worked my way sideways to find the arch. Suddenly, my hand disappeared into solid marble. It's open, I said. I stepped back through to be sure. Very weird. The force field may be off, but the hologram is still totally real. You'd swear you're walking through solid marble. I stepped outside once more. Once again, the mini-yurk pool and all my friends disappeared behind me. I was standing beside a massive pink marble column. No one entering the room would suspect for a minute that there was anything different about this column. I'm telling you how I want it, a voice said. I dove, no questions asked. I dove beneath the nearest table and rolled out of sight. A white tablecloth hung all around me. I saw three pairs of legs approaching, two male, one female. I cursed myself bitterly for getting careless. Of course people would be coming and going in the ballroom. It was weird, I felt alone and cut off, yet I knew most of my friends were standing just a few feet away, inside what appeared to be a marble column. I want the main table further back, closer to the podium, one of the men was saying. But how do the POTUS and the other HOSs get from the table to the podium, the woman asked. I had heard the term POTUS. It stood for President of the United States. But what was an HOS? Head of State? The President and the other heads of state will rise from their seats and travel down along that table, past the photogs and around the back of the pillar, then up onto the podium. Tony, that doesn't make sense, the other man said. Suddenly, three chairs were yanked out all around me. Legs were coming at me. Two bare female legs and four covered in gray pinstriped suit pants. The three of them were sitting down. I emitted a muffled sound as someone's shoe kicked my side. Don't tell me what makes sense. I've spent weeks working this all out, the man named Tony said. If so, then why did you tell us something totally different this morning? The woman asked. You must have misunderstood what I said this morning, Tony said coolly. I don't see how. Look, Sheila, let me make this simple for you. I am the White House Chief of Protocol. This is my show. Who sits where is my business. Your business is to make it happen. Suddenly, I had a feeling I knew something about Tony, the others didn't. I squirmed carefully around, avoiding the various poking feet. I needed to see the bottom of Tony's shoe. Tony, you don't have to get... The other man started to say. Look, just do it, Tony said. Well, okay, but there will be no time to change your mind again before the banquet, Sheila said, sounding huffy. You know the secret service detail insists on knowing all the specifics well in advance. I won't change my mind. The POTUS and the others will approach the stage from behind that column. That's final. They stood up. And at just that moment, I saw what I'd known I would. A slash on the bottom of Tony's shoe. I almost laughed. I waited till the coast was clear and crawled back into the column. Inside, Axe said, Prince Jake, I believe we may have a way out of here. The hologram and the force field seem to be weaker higher up the column. That would make sense, I said. They need it reinforced down low in the strong light, down where people might touch it. That's how I was able to see through the illusion when I passed by in Dragonfly Morph. Yes, I think we could escape by going straight up, straight through the roof. I looked up, out at the sky overhead, and saw a circle of blue that looked awfully inviting. Fine, let's get out of here, I said. But Axe hesitated. He turned his stock eyes meaningfully toward the stainless steel tub. The Yerks are probably already in place. Do we... Do we leave them? I knew what he was suggesting. It would be easy to finish them off right there and then. But if we did, the Yerks might simply be able to replace them. And they'd be warned that we knew their plan. Besides... There was something wrong about killing defenseless slugs. I was pretty sure of that. I shook my head. Let's fly. Some decisions are smart. Some are dumb. Some manage to do a little of both. This was one of those. Chapter 16 Tobias, are you able to hear us? X called in thought speak. No answer. I wasn't surprised. Tobias was probably too far off to hear. We were all going back to Siegelmorph, but if we flew straight up, we would probably emerge from the middle of the roof. It would look as if we'd simply popped up out of the roof. The roof that was being watched by a dozen security guys, and probably the bald man. We needed a distraction. The fire alarm, David said. I did it once at my old school to get out of taking a test. He pointed at the small red lever on a nearby wall. Okay, I said. Good idea. I'll do it, David volunteered. Everyone, start to morph Siegel. David, you have to throw it and come running straight back. No duh. Okay. Ready? Go! We morphed. David ran. He reached the switch, yanked it down. (laughs) David came racing back. Wham! His foot caught on a chair leg and he sprawled, hitting the ground. A split second later, the doors of the ballroom burst open. Four armed men came running in, guns drawn. In a flash, I realized my mistake. Yes, the fire alarm would distract the regular guards, but the controllers would hear the alarm too, and come rushing straight here, straight to their concealed yerk pool. David rolled under a table, out of sight. Instant decision time. Everyone finish morphing and get out of here. Now. I'll get David. But, Rachel said. Not now, Rachel, I said through gritted teeth. Close the archway behind me. David and I will find another way out. I dropped to my knees and crawled out of the pillar. I was out of sight of the advancing controllers as I made my way under the table. But peering down the long line of chair legs, I saw David. Only... David wasn't David anymore. Cassie had helped him acquire a combat morph. He'd chosen a male lion. As I watched, I saw the bushy mane sprout from around his neck. I mouthed the word no silently. We needed to escape, not fight. But David just grinned. He was still grinning as three-inch-long yellow canine teeth grew from his suddenly puffy upper lip. Bar the door, one of the controllers ordered. Push a couple of tables up against it. I'll use the secure link to contact our people. We can't have any of the other security forces barging in here. I saw feet moving. I heard a table being shoved across the carpet to block the main door. Okay, if we have andalite penetration, they could be anything, even flies. It's probably just a false alarm, nothing to do with us. We'll know as soon as we check the pool. If it was andalites, well, our friends at the pool will not be alive. I breathed a small sigh of relief. We'd left the Yurks in the pool alone. If I could keep David from doing anything crazy, we'd get out of this okay. The controllers just had to check the concealed Yerk pool and see that their brothers were alive. I began to crawl with infinite caution toward David. He was maybe 30 feet away, his face concealed by the gloom and the chair legs, and by the fact that his face was changing rapidly. I kept shaking my head no. I kept silently mouthing the word no. I was trying to will him to understand me. But he just kept morphing. A long, bushy-tipped tail now extended out from beneath the table. Legs walked past, almost stepping on the tail. Turn off the hologram, the first voice ordered. I looked back over my shoulder. The marble pillar was there. Then it was gone, replaced by the stainless steel tank, the narrow table and the strange-looking emitter. Two sets of legs walked to the yerk pool. I heard a hinge being moved. They're okay, a new voice yelled. Okay, the leader said, sighing relief. No way we have antelite penetration, then. They'd never leave our people alive. Close the doors. I'll notify the others. Hologram on. The pillar reappeared. David was now a full-grown lion, He was twitching his tail, but it had twitched back out of sight. I was no more than ten feet away from him. All he had to do was stay still. All he had to do was stay still. All he had to do... Legs passed by. David turned his massive head. I saw his hindquarters bunch up, ready for the attack. I crawled forward as fast as I could, and in the split second before he would have leapt, I grabbed his mane with my right hand. Now, let me pause to explain that, just because I turn into animals all the time, doesn't mean I've lost any respect for them. You see all these lions on TV, in movies, in commercials or whatever, and they're often tame and kind of sweet. Or you see them lying around with their paws in the air, sleeping in the shade on the savannah. But you need to realize something. The reason lions have lots of time to sleep is that they are very, very effective killers. They don't need to expend a lot of energy, because as long as there is prey, they'll eat just fine. I grabbed the lion's mane. About a millisecond later, it occurred to me that this was David's first time in lion morph, and he might not have control of it. Which meant, I might not have an arm for much longer. David, I hissed in a voiceless whisper. Don't. Do. Anything. He stared at me with golden brown eyes. And slowly, Deliberately, he drew back his muzzle to reveal his teeth. Okay, let's go, the lead controller said. Nothing here. The doors opened. I saw feet walking away. I was still holding a handful of mane. My face was inches from David's mouth, and my mind went immediately to the fact that one of the ways a lion kills is by simply crushing the skull of its prey. Crushing the skull with its jaws till it pops open like a dropped cantaloupe Had you worried, huh? David said. No. I knew you were cool. Just being prepared. You know, in case there was any trouble. I was surprised you didn't go into your tiger morph. Yeah, well, I didn't see the need. Hey, you ever wonder who'd win in a fight between a lion and a tiger? That took me by surprise. I hesitated. Lion. That's what I think. Well, It would probably never happen, David said with a laugh. It's just interesting to think about. I'd better demorph. Once he was human again, I said, I think the best way out of here now is the same way we came in. I crawled out from under the table and stood up. Just one difference. We don't have time to waste having you leap around in flea morph trying to land on me. So what are we going to do? David, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but bite me. What? Bite me on the back. We'll morph together. Hopefully, when your flea mouth parts replace your human teeth, you'll remain latched on. Yeah, and hopefully I don't do like Marco and end up a two-foot-tall flea before I shrink, he said. That might hurt you just a bit. The idea worked, and we zoomed madly through the air conditioning vents, "'till we happened to spot sunlight. "'There was an outside vent after all. "'It had just been well camouflaged by stonework. "'We zipped outside and Tobias snagged us out of midair. "'We flew home with me mulling the strangeness of David's question. "'Who would win? "'Who would win a fight between a lion and a tiger? "'And why did I suddenly care about the answer?' "'Chapter 17.' We now knew the Yerks' plan. They would wait for the big banquet. The heads of state would walk up to the platform, one by one, to give speeches. One by one, they would pass behind the holographic pillar. There, out of sight of the audience, they would be hauled inside the pillar. They would be grabbed and held, their heads forced into the pool. A Yerks' slug would enter through their ears. Minutes later, they would be controllers. Meanwhile, the holographic emitter we'd seen would project an image of the head of state continuing his walk up to the podium. He would seem to reappear on the far side of the pillar, walk up, and calmly deliver his speech. By the time the speech was over, the real head of state would be ready to emerge. The switch would then be done in reverse. Tony, the White House protocol guy, is the man with the slash on his shoe, I told the others as we gathered in the barn. That was the whole purpose behind grabbing the helicopter. It wasn't the president they were after right then. They want a grand slam, David said. They want all these guys at once. So they snagged the second helicopter, the one that always accompanies Marine One, to throw off possible terrorists. Exactly, I agreed. They needed the chief of protocol, the guy who would decide how the banquet was laid out. So Visser 3 acquired him, replaced him, What about the real guy? The actual chief of protocol? Cassie asked. Probably still alive, Marco offered. Visser 3 has him drugged, takes his clothes and shoes, goes out, does his stuff. Then later, the real Tony wakes up and doesn't realize anything has even happened. Why not just make Tony a controller? Tobias asked. I don't know, I admitted. But Axe spoke up. The buildings where these heads of state work and live are carefully guarded? And all the employees carefully watched? You know it. Then there may be a simple reason. Kendrona rays. If the president and the others are made into controllers, they won't be able to get away from the president's security people long enough to secretly visit a York pool every three days for their needed Kendrona rays. So we have to assume the plan will be for the president to have a York pool and Kondrona placed within the White House itself. Rachel made a rude, dismissive noise. How would they keep something like that secret? David supplied the answer. Only the president could order something like that done in the White House. And even then, only if most or all of his secret service guys, and a lot of his staff were controllers too. The big goal is to get the president and the others. Marco agreed They need to get the president under control And he'll be able to make it possible for them to install the Conjona in the White House itself They need a Conjona right there They can't have well-known White House personnel secretly running around to York pools So they didn't make this Tony guy a controller Because if the whole scheme fails He'll be stuck in Washington without access to a Conjona Cassie shook her head Very clever, boys But as usual, you've overlooked a much simpler explanation what simple explanation? I asked. Ego, Cassie said. You have to look at who we're talking about here. It's Visor 3. It's his biggest scheme ever. If it works, the battle for Earth is won. He'll be the big hero of the whole Yerk Empire. And if it fails, he'll look like a fool. So what's he gonna do? Stay aboard the bladeship and watch? Uh-uh, not Visor 3. He wants to be there. He wants to be able to say Look, I did it all. Me, me, me. I nodded. As usual, Cassie had seen what I had missed. Cassie grinned. Typical males, she said airily, self-mocking. All you think about is plot. You always forget it's about personality. It's about character. Visser three has to be there, see? He's an egomaniac. Marco, David, Axe, Tobias, and I all looked at one another feeling a little disgruntled. I still like our explanation, David said, speaking for all of us. Well, I assume this banquet is tonight, I said, looking at my watch. And if I'm right, we have very few hours to figure out how to bust up this plan. I need to spend some time at home, Rachel said. You probably do too, Jake. Actually, I'm pretty free for now, I said. You heard about Sadler, right? She hadn't. So I told her about our injured cousin, about my parents going to help out, and about the fact that Sadler was not necessarily going to survive. Everyone made the right noises of sympathy. So did David. But while his mouth was making the right words, I saw something disturbing in his eyes. Something I couldn't quite put my finger on. I glanced at him, and he looked at me with a face that seemed to be shining with restrained excitement. Like someone who had just figured out how to win the lottery. And I heard an echo of Cassie's words in my mind. It's always about character. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs' auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, We got an email today, so it's another Danimal day. Uh, I guess that's the new jingle. I don't know. We're trying it out. Uh, this one comes in from a Willis Horning, um, titled, four-star review is cringe. Uh, then the body of the message is, sorry, I don't have an iTunes account, I use a different podcatcher, but your Marco voice is great, I like him being a little punk nerd. From Willis, Marco Stan Horning. Uh, thank you for writing in, Willis, um, I'm sorry you have beef with the four-star reviewer, uh, I get it. I mean, I think my, it's a kind of annoying voice, but I also, you know, with the options I was given from myself, felt it, it worked. And I, I agree. I think he is a bit of a little punk nerd. Um, I think he's a dork. So I give him kind of a dorky voice. I know he thinks he's cool, but come on. <laughs> uh, but thank you for writing in. Uh, if you'd like to write in like Willis and, uh, I don't know, start more beef with other people who have reviewed this podcast... You can do that, uh, like he did, through Gmail, that's audiomorphscast at gmail.com. You can do it through Tumblr, that's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. You can do it through my website, that's The apodcalypse, like Apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. Or you can do it on Twitter, at Audiomorphs. That Twitter is also what you should check if ever uh, something's up with the podcast, um, if... If I'm having issues, I will be posting them there uh, relating to podcast publishing. Other than that, if you, unlike with do use iTunes, and if you don't, that's totally fine. <laughs> but uh, if you do use iTunes, um, you can leave me a rating and review there. It boosts me in the algorithm, I think. I don't know. All the cool podcasters asked to do that, so I just want to be a cool, po- cool podcaster too. Um, you can also tell a friend. Um, your friend doesn't have to use iTunes either It's fine uh, Let's see now What what else do I normally say here I don't know That's good enough That's close enough uh, Thank you all for listening And I will see you all next week My name is Daniel And I believe one day The Andalites will come Until then We fight